Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode seven of Yoga Land. My guest today is Taylor Harkness, and I thought he would be the perfect guest for kicking off summer because he's so fun and warm and lovable. He happens to also be the first millennial that I've interviewed on the podcast, and when I went back and listened to it, I thought to myself, if Taylor represents the future of yoga, then we're in really good hands. Everything's going to be okay. So like any incredibly able-bodied yogi millennial, which is what Taylor is, he has a sizable presence on Instagram with more than 35,000 followers. But interestingly, as his presence grew, he started to feel disenchanted. In fact, here's an excerpt from one of his most memorable Instagram posts. He says, Yoga teachers are not celebrities, and it seems like many of us are sucking the yoga right out of this job. If you're trying to get famous, you're in this for the wrong reasons. Practice what you preach. I'm here to be a part of something. I'm here to help others move freely and live happily. I've been at the bottom of the barrel, and it almost killed me. And it sure as hell wasn't a certain brand of tea that pulled me up. It was people. I'm here to serve, do that, and be that for others. So back when I read this, I thought, I have to talk to this guy. I'd taken his classes on Yoga Glow before, and he's worked with Jason, my husband, for a while. And I always appreciated his humor and his sequences. But this post really made me want to know more about him. Our interview today is really casual and fun, and what comes through for me is that Taylor's past as a paramedic and as a young person who's witnessed a lot of trauma truly informs the way that he lives now. And he's really a product of his generation. You can feel his youthful creative energy when you talk to him. And you can feel how he is aiming to be the change he wants to see in the world. So I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Here we go. Hi, Taylor. Hey. How are you? (laughs) Oh, I'm so fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you here. I think you are officially the very first millennial to be on the podcast. So represent, exactly. (laughs) No pressure, you know, just representing a whole generation of yogis. So despite your youth, your charming youth, you're in your late 20s, right? Yeah. Late 20s. You're a successful teacher, you're traveling, and I think you've got a lot of wisdom. So can you talk about your life and your career before yoga and how it led to yoga for you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So the brief lowdown, the abridged version, so to speak, is I was working full-time as a paramedic. After I finished high school, I went through EMT school and then went through paramedic school, got a job as a paramedic and worked full-time as I was in undergrad for studying psychology and biology and burning the candle kind of at at both ends, so to speak. So going to school during the day, working at night, and I was also really active in rock climbing at the time. So adrenaline junkie as best as I could be. And there was a a nurse that recommended yoga. And my friend said, Hey, what do you want to do today on one of our like fifth or sixth times climbing the same stuff? Because so I grew up in Florida to backtrack for a second. So there's not a whole lot of um, outdoor rock climbing in Florida. It's pretty (laughs) flat. flat. Yeah. We would train indoors in a gym and then go outdoors. And we had just gotten back from a trip and the gym hadn't changed basically. So for reference point, it was just the same routes that we've been climbing for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we were looking for something else to do. And she said, do you want to go try a yoga class that I heard of? And I had no idea what yoga was. And I thought it was just stretching in a dark room <laughs> and humming <laughs> to yourself, you know, and, uh, and went and tried it. And it was for every level there was something that that spoke to me and that that just kind of like 
called to me that I had to go back and try it again. It was like the first time I didn't know quite what to think of it. You, you don't know the Sanskrit. You don't know the asana. You don't know exactly what's happening. But when you leave, you're like, I feel a little bit better than when right. I walked right? And so then I had to go back and try it again. And okay, what is this thing? And go back and try it again. And I just realized that I was always athletic from the from a personal standpoint, because I have a lazy eye and I have flat feet and I have, you know, not not like the typical football player, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> ball sports, I avoided like the plague and, and catching things never came easily. But I was always flexible. I'd always had some kind of flexibility, even though I didn't know what it was or how to use it. I just was more flexible than most people. And, and certain things I think resonated with my body type. And so I went in and yoga for the first time felt like it felt like I was in my body. It felt like those things that I had naturally done with running or swimming or breathing or, or the things that just on my own without knowing anything about yoga had kind of discovered about myself that made me a better athlete within Yeah, kind of came through. So yoga was really the first the first place that I could feel like I had any coordination or that I had any kind of strength or that I had that flexibility as a man was something that was a strength. It was and valuable. It was, yeah. you know, it was valuable. Yeah. It had value because it just hadn't up until that point. And so yoga was really a, a, a breath of fresh air, yes, but also a breath of invigoration for there's so much out there that your body can do and that you're capable of that you haven't even discovered yet. Yeah. You know? You don't even know what your body can do. And rather than shying away from it and, you know, not knowing exactly how to access these things, let's go deeper into it and let's explore what this body can do. So it was very physical in the beginning. And I love that aspect. It gave me a lot of confidence, I think, as never being the confident athlete, you know, growing up that could catch or throw or I can't even play t-ball. <laughs> you so know? That is like fascinating because, you know, I mean, before I talked to you, when I told Jason I was going to talk to you, you, you know, my husband really well. He loves you. And he said to me, I was like, do you have anything I want to ask Taylor? And he's like, I want to know what it's like to like be in his body and be that capable and that flexible because, you know, Jason jokes about how tight he is. And it's been a very, very, very long journey just for him to even get to like the range of mobility that he's at now. So it's just when knowing that you have your own experience in your body and it's, it's just fascinating because like I see your practice and it's like, whoa, I mean, you can do so much. You're so capable. So it's, but it also sounds like when you found, like when you went into the class, even if you didn't fully understand it yet, like it hooked you and you just felt comfortable in your body in that setting. Like a moth to a flame. Absolutely. And I think that there is with yoga, such a restorative component that even though I was working full time and going to school full time, yes, this was more physical exertion, but it was finally the right type of physical exertion for my body type. So it wasn't at all depleting or it wasn't, I didn't walk out of the room. Yeah, it was more balanced and it felt good and you felt invigorated versus, I mean, I've always wanted to, I look up to, you know, gymnasts and dancers and and that is like the peak of athleticism for me is watching the Olympics and watching the gymnasts tumble and do their thing and and dancers and how free they feel and, and how they look and their expression. And it was the first time I ever felt like, I could do the same within my own limits, you know, like yeah. I could express myself within whatever this bodily frame is that I have. Cause I was always the small one. I was always like the little guy, just yeah. not, yeah. not, not your typical jock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it gave me confidence. It gave me a way to, to feel powerful in my own body, which was really neat. Did it help you navigate being an EMT or was it kind of like, okay, this is way too stressful for me. I need to gear out of this career path. Oh, that's a good question. I think that. I think that yoga in and of itself, its innate or inherent quality is reflection, 
right? You want to go deeper into the own, your own thoughts that come up and, and what you're experiencing. And I was sucked into a lifestyle that was adrenaline and that was, you know, chasing the, chasing the dragon, so to speak of, I was bound from med school as far back as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what is one thing that's going to set me aside when I go to apply? And I went into emergency medicine as a way to, to get patient experience, to get um, experience in the real world and, and, and have that medical background, that knowledge. And with that came a sense of freedom, liberation, you know, because I was supporting myself at, a, at an early age. I was doing adult things at an early age. I never had the like typical college experience. I didn't live on campus. You know, I didn't live in a dorm. I moved out when I was 17 and, and got a job and supported myself. And so it gave me that sense of I'm an adult now, you know, yeah. and, but I think I was still, still very young and immature as you are at that age. And so to see that amount of toxicity and, and death and injury and abuse that people have on their bodies and uh, substances and each other really mm-hmm. was, I mean, the area that I worked in was Friday and Saturday nights. All we run were assaults. People just getting drunk and beating each other up kind of thing, you know? So it's, <laughs> yeah. And it tends to wear on you and you either harden or you shut down. And I think I did some kind of mixture of both where here was this fun, loving, happy, go lucky guy that on shift and then subsequently bleeds over, how can it not, you know, into your real life that I just was, I was disconnected from people. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to even um, almost be inconvenienced by people, you know, mm-hmm. that if you're not going to take care of yourself, why do I even have to bother kind of thing of years? I mean, this is years now of, of just watching the worst in people and, and trying to be there for them as you can. And yoga, I think, innately makes you reflect on those things and it brings up, it just holds up a mirror, right? Yeah. And so it just brings up things that maybe you shove down or maybe you push aside and I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. And I had to reflect on it, you know, as you would. And yeah. then add to that, that just because of what yoga is, you're surrounded by really wonderful people, right? Like-minded people who are also on this weird journey together who just want to better themselves and want to support those around them. So I went from a toxic environment with God bless them. Some of the best people I know are, are paramedics, but just as toxic, right? Just as, I mean, bad eating habits. And when you're that high on adrenaline coming off, sometimes you have to turn to alcohol. Right. And your, your hours are really weird and it's really stressful. And yeah, yeah. I went from, I had chronic headaches. I was taking sleeping pills. They weren't working. I would go to sleep with the headache take sleeping pills to help me sleep, wake up two hours later with the same headache. You know, oh, I had to go get tested like for, I had to have a scan of my brain, a CT scan because they just weren't going away. And the doctor was finally like, dude, you're burning your candle at both ends. You need to do something. Yeah. <laughs> you need to do something, whether it means less overtime or don't take such a heavy, heavy load of classes, you know, but yoga, I think was that answer. And it, it surrounded me with, with people who wanted to be there and wanted to support. And rather than Working more overtime, I wanted to spend more time with these people. And rather than eating eating junk and trying to stay awake and cram, uh, yoga makes you kind of reflect on, well, maybe I'll eat something different, right? Maybe I'll stop having caffeine so I can get a better night's sleep tonight. And tomorrow I'll feel better and wake up and be more focused. And it just, it, it does. It has this way of kind of shifting your life. And it, it definitely shifted my focus on what was important. Yeah. And it also sounds like, just on a really, really basic like survival level. And I think this is really fascinating for most of us in this culture. Yoga is the first time we are actually 
taught, because I think in our culture, it needs to be taught to relax. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like we don't teach ourselves. We don't teach our children. We don't, it's not a value in school. It's just like drive, yeah. drive, drive, forward, 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 progress, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. And so it sounds like, you know, it brought you that sense of physical balance and like nervous system balance for the first time. Well, and that was, I think you hit the nail on the head that that is such that is an American ideal, right? Like the American dream is just go, 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 go. You got to strive and do your best so that you can get the big house and the, have the kids and the white picket fence and have a nice car and work, work, work so that when you're older, you can retire and have a good life. And yoga, I think, makes you check yourself and go, but if you're not going to have a good life in the interim, if you're going to work yourself to death before you get there, what's going to be left to enjoy? You know? And so... I'm so grateful that I caught on at an early age because I watched my father work in the military and subsequently retire and then take on a second job. And, and, and I watched my mom work to death and I, I like, I watched people just do that. And that's, that's how we live, you know, yes. and not have, not have vacation time. And when you have vacation time, not take your vacation time because it's so important to, well, next year promotions might come out. So I think that the people who come in early, stay late and show up when they're sick, they're going to get the promotion. So I've got to compete with that. Right. Yes. Or the raise or what have you. And so it creates this really competitive, you know, I remember on the ambulance trying at a young age wanting to be a lieutenant because there was a path for getting to be a lieutenant. And then from there, getting to be a captain and getting to ride up as a chief. And so there is in that little subset, its own little world, this type like hierarchical system of climbing the ladder, right? Right. And why at 18 years old should anyone be so focused on money, 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 and working to death and, and seeing the things that you see as a paramedic at such a young age when there's so much more, like there's so much innocence still left before you even can drink your first alcoholic beverage, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am so grateful that yoga at a young age, you know, my, my early and mid twenties started to just say, buddy, you need to shift this. You need to get out of, of whatever this is. Cause if you don't, and if you don't do it quickly, you're going to get caught up in that rat race and this will be your life. Yeah. So, so let's move to like a, a different rat race, which is, I think right now yoga on Instagram is its own <laughs> rat race. I mean, and, and it just keeps coming up again and again and people I talk to, and I know this is not your favorite thing to talk about, but you have like 35,000 followers now. So I think just as a starting place, like tell me how you got started on Instagram and what it was like for you at first, when you first started posting and how, how you built your following? So I th Instagram, when, as, if I think back as far back as I can remember, I thought Instagram was just a photo editing app. And I did too at first. I, yeah. I didn't realize that when you post this stuff, it was actually... People were seeing it. We're seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just a cool way to add filters and, and, and you know, to change the contrast and stuff. And so I did that for a while and then caught on, there was the social media component of, hey, when you post food, there's something called a hash. I think that was my first introduction to hashtags was Instagram too. And now they're everywhere, right? But yeah. it's that when you hashtag recipe that you can potentially look up a whole bunch of other people's recipes or when you hashtag yoga, you could look up a whole bunch of things that hopefully only have to do with yoga. And so early on, I think it was a way to, to play with technology again, you know, just, just to have this understanding of how you can capture a picture and then alter it to make it look how you, you would want to with the food or, or I had a garden at one point and took a lot of gardening pictures. And then it got into, because that was right around the time when, you know, yoga was leaving me feeling empowered in my body. And 
this was the first time that I could do strength things, things that had to do with strength and, and, and almost the, the masculine side of things that, wow, look at this, this power that I have within my body. Yeah. Then combined also with the flexibility and that grace component that, that yoga gives you. So I think that it, it caught on with just posting pictures of, of yoga poses and your expression of these yoga poses, just like we talked about how dancers, you know, and how they fully express themselves and kind of captivate just by just by being, but then it gives you this other added component of sharing a caption and of being able to write what that means to you and what you're experiencing when you're either in the pose or, or what you're going through in life right now. And so this was, this is my journal for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was my way of, of publicly admitting things and acknowledging things and working through them. But then also there's that space, but also getting feedback from people that are maybe going through the same things. So it was really about connection and it was about sharing and it was it became this this beautiful entity in and of its own this little organism that was something I wanted to do and now flash forward and I think that there's a sense of I'm almost a little bit jaded by it like you said it's not my favorite thing to talk about (laughs) it gets to if you turn anything that you love into part of your job then it sucks the magic out of it right and so now with everyone on Instagram showing the, the most advanced variations of the most advanced crazy asana that, you know, even in my, my, at my peak of my practice, no matter how warm I am, could never honestly get myself into. I think we have to realize that there are more people practicing yoga these days than ever before, right? And now everyone has a smartphone in their hands. Yeah. And so when you see these crazy pictures of people doing these these insane things and radical and wonderful, albeit wonderful things with their bodies. I think that the negative side of that is that we oftentimes think that everyone else can do these things except for me, you know, that everyone else can, why am I not advancing that level? Why is my practice not that strong? Why can't I take a good enough picture? What? And then you add to that, this other layer of now people are liking it and people are sharing it and people are following these people. And so it, it adds competition mm-hmm. It adds, um, like the rat race, like you said, to what should just be a form of expression and sharing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just statistically, when you look at it, when you're seeing someone who's doing these insane things with their body, they might be one in a million. But if millions of people are practicing yoga and have cell phones in their hands, you're seeing all these pictures all the time, right? So so it takes away from, I think, the, the specialness. Is that a word? The specialness? <laughs> of, Sounds good to me. Yeah, the specialness of your own <laughs> practice now. And, it, and when you, rather than sharing of like, wow, I feel good in my body and this is what it is. Now it's become like, okay, how many likes can I get on this picture? How is this going to promote my business? Now you see all these people that, you know, if they're going to share something or if they're going to write something, first they'll take almost a, a provocative picture, you know, with the camera angled a certain way that shows parts of the body that are going to get more attention, that are going to get more more likes and more draw. Right. It's more gratuitous. It can be more gratuitous. It can be, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yoga is this one beautiful tool that is accessible to everyone, right? So if you're an amputee, there's a yoga for you, right? If you're a grandma, there's a yoga for you. Yeah. If you're a baby, there's a yoga for you, right? Yeah. And so it takes this broad, accessible, big brush that you can paint with this this beautiful tool that everyone can access. And instead it just kind of social media has a way of rather than now sharing and connecting people, it has a way of taking that accessibility and manipulating it to competition, right? And to the rat race again. And I think that's just a, that's just a, a symptom of our culture, yeah. right? And like seeding insecurity too. Yeah. 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 And, 
you know, if you post a picture of yourself without a shirt on, you don't want people to just like it. You want people to say like, oh, wow, look at your body. Or you want to be gratified. You know, you want to have some complimentary basis to it. And so I've really shifted the way that I interact with people on social media. I've had to take a hard stop and a break and an about face, so to speak, that, you know, I don't post anything now these days unless I really want to share something. I don't post anything now just to just to fill the need to post or mm-hmm. just to have some kind of schedule for posting. If I want to share something, it's because I want to share something and I have something to write about. And I don't stop my day and take a picture of myself in a yoga pose and I don't uh, advertise things at all. You know, if, if, if I'm ever going to write about a product, it's because I like it, I love it, I tried it, and I want to share that. And I don't think I've, I ever have, you know. Right. But like you don't do sponsorships. Yeah, don't, don't do, do yeah. Yeah. I also don't look at my phone. This is probably a bigger, a bigger, broader topic, but I don't look at my phone or my computer before 9 a.m., nor do I look at it after 5 p.m. I don't post, Ooh, nor do I, yeah, I, I don't answer emails on the weekends or on holidays, you know? So this, this whole world that, again, this beautiful piece of technology in your, in your fingers, I've had to take a step back from it and reconnect with the people that are around me and that are real yeah. <laughs> in real life. And, and then it brings the magic back into it because no longer am I doing it for a job. You know, no longer am I doing it for attention. No longer am I doing it to get my, my classes out there, to get my teachings out there. It's just interacting again with people. And I think that's it's so analog thing. of you. Yeah. It's, what's that? I said, it's so analog of you. <laughs> I'm going back in time a little bit. <laughs> um, so have you noticed since you've kind of changed your shifted your focus a bit, have you noticed any change in your account? Like, has it weeded out people who maybe weren't really interested in your message or is it about the same? Is it, are you getting kind of the same response? I've seen a decrease in the rate at which my amount of followers goes up for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the numbers are still building, but not as quickly as they were before. And I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> totally fine with that. What that also tells me is I'm also saying not just on mine, but on other people's social media, fewer likes. And I think that that speaks to a few things. I'm hoping that it speaks to a few things. One is that I think people have caught on and it was this craze and it was this addiction for a while. Now people are going, oh yeah, back to reality, you know, Mm -hmm. back to the real world. I'm also seeing and hoping that it means we're not on our phones as much. And it means that yogis are practicing what they preach. And if they're preaching community and if they're preaching, you know, being present, you know, how often does your phone or your laptop distract you from the current present moment? You know, so I'm, I'm hoping that that's what it is. And also, I think the market's saturated and there are just a lot of people showing crazy poses on on Facebook and Instagram. And so if you're not in that boat and you're kind of out of the mainstream, you've jumped out of that. Yeah, it'll affect your numbers for sure. But quality over quantity, right? Like the comments that I get and the connections that I get and the the messages that I get are so personal and so real and so, so much about sharing, you know, and the people that, that reach out and respond. And I love to, I like it because, because, well, I don't like to be in front of my computer, right? So when I am, I try and make it count. And so I respond to everyone that reaches out and, and I have friends that I've never met before and I can actually call them friends because of the things that we've shared, you know, just in, in, in messages. So it goes back to connection. Yes. But I would much rather see people connecting in real life and using that social platform as a way to make those relationships happen than focusing on a number on a screen.
we were talking about this earlier, like the internet's not going away <laughs> and your generation and, and my so, daughter's generation, you know, it's really um, just such a natural part of existence. It almost sounds like you want to make it clear that, you know, there actually is a separation between us and the screen. Like there is a difference between the screen and reality and like connecting with people in that way and connecting in reality. Well, I think it's a responsibility. And mm-hmm. I think that as a millennial, to use the M word, as a millennial, we we're, we're paving that path, right? For how technology is going to be used. And we set the trends for what's next to, to run with technology. And we can't live in a world that is so imbalanced with, with who wants to spend their entire day behind a screen, you know? And we're, we're seeing more and more that, that the linkage between, you know, how much time you spend watching television and behind a screen is linked to, to migraines and obesity and poor habits with posture and, and, and hip pain and, and tight lower back and, and all the things that yoga hopefully is helping us to, to counter, right, you know, right. but if anything, you know, to bring it back to millennials, just because you mentioned your daughter and, and my generation, I think that every, every generation is going to have something that defines it, right? Something that sets it apart from, from the previous or from the one coming and different focus, a different focus or different, different topics that they think are really important. And I'm hoping that technology is one that millennials claim and that they define as as a way to better your life, but not to live your life, mm-hmm. you know, as a way to stay connected, to use Facebook, to connect with old high school friends and family that you can't always connect with because they live in a different state or different country, but not to let it run your time and run your life. Yeah. And uh, that's one that I would, I would hope that millennials kind of wake up to and that they shift the topic from being so technolo- technologically driven to how can technology better our lives. I'm hoping that bettering your life and having an increased quality of life becomes the millennial standard and becomes what we're hoping for. Because when you think about politics, when you think about religion, when you think about all the things that kind of millennials have their hands in now and technology, I'm hoping that one of our biggest contributions is we take a step back and there's always this sense of you've heard that millennials are entitled, right? Or that I hate that, but they said a lot of horrible things about my generation too. I'm Gen X. So I totally relate. We were, we were supposedly apathetic. So the apathetic generation. Yeah. Oh man. I'd rather take the entitled. I think entitled better. (laughs) But I think that there is, Yes, obviously there are some people who are spoiled brats and who are entitled, but I think what's actually happening and what doesn't quite translate to other people who use that that word or that mark or that brand of entitlement is we're the first generation to stand up and say, okay, wait a second. You want me to pay all this money for higher education, right? And then you want me to get a job that I watch my parents really hate and struggle with and work. I, I watch my, my grandparents work for Ford in a factory for years and years and years, and then get to a point where now it's time to retire. Well, guess what? Your retirement's cut, you know, or your health is cut or your health care is linked to your job, which means don't even try and explore something else. Cause if you start a new job, you'll have to start. A- there are all these things that I think millennials are going, but wait, it's not working. Why can't at a minimum, why can't our country say that all people should have a right to health care and a right to education? So that at your darkest day, you still have a way to take care of yourself and a way to better yourself. And it, right. it, it, it creates a, a, a better populace, you know? I mean, it creates... You shine, we all shine brighter, yeah, right? Yeah. The generation before me was the generation that brought Patabi Joyce over here and learned yoga from him 
and then, you know, started teaching Ashtanga in California. And that they were the generation who went to Pune, started going to Pune and, and learning um, yoga from Iyengar and then bringing it really actively over here. And then my generation, you know, started to try to assimilate that. And I think there was a lot more fear of breaking the rules in my generation. Um, and I see your generation as like, yeah, I eat meat. I'm a Westerner. Like this is who I am, or I'm an atheist and I can still be a spiritual person. And that's just who I am. Do you ever think about your generation of yogis and, and maybe, you know, what you want to bring to the yoga world or to, to your students as a teacher from that perspective? It's a big question. It's a huge question. Yeah. (laughs) I think of all the bite-sized pieces I want to take out of this question. Yeah. Yeah. So let me start with, I think there's a very specific duality that appears in that whole context that you just mentioned. And that is that on one side, yoga is very, very, very accepting of everyone, right? It's an accessible tool for all. So what that says is you're welcoming everyone from all walks of life. And as we all know, everyone from all walks of life have their own opinions, their own way that things should be done. So the other side of that duality is that if you're going to welcome everyone and treat everyone equally, right, which is a, a tenant of yoga that we're all in this together, right, then you have to acknowledge those other forms of yoga. And you have to acknowledge that cross-culturally, there are going to be different norms that are established and different trends that are established. And so this duality of, of and I think it's a dangerous one. It's, it's a great one, but it's a dangerous one in the sense that it almost has a disregard for tradition. Mm-hmm. because you don't have to know anything about tradition because come as you are, right? Mm-hmm. Just, 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 you're right. You can get really loosey goosey really fast, real loosey goosey really fast. So there's that kind of dangerous note of it, but there's also, I find a sense of, because our, that cross-cultural sense of, of in the States, especially it's very much a, a fame driven kind of culture, you know, like look at our biggest celebrities are a lot of them famous for not doing much of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, and, and people aspire to that. And so when you open this huge practice of accessibility up to everyone and say, you're all welcome to it. Now let's just shine together. And then everyone has a different way of doing it. And in the West, people are fame driven. It doesn't surprise me at all why Instagram took off the way that it did. It doesn't surprise me at all why there's this sense of yoga liberty, right? And it doesn't surprise me at all that, that certain trends whether it be one person wears something and then everyone wears those same leggings or, you know, that stuff doesn't surprise me at all. But I think that's such a very small part of it that when I think of what I want to bring to it, what the millennial generation should bring to it, I think to answer the other side of your question is I ask in all my trainings with teachers to put your message into one sentence. Mm -hmm. It's your golden rule. It's your North star and your compass, right? And if you can't do that, if you can't give a reason or a message behind your teaching, it's time for you to just reflect back and, and, and shift some things, right? So my message, no matter if I'm teaching a teacher's workshop, if I'm teaching backbends, if I'm teaching a 45-minute flow class, if I'm teaching chair yoga to my grandmother, no matter what the, the class is or what, what the platform is, my message is that I want all of us to realize that we can do even the smallest of things. So from breathing to chaturanga to shavasana, right? The smallest of things with great mindfulness, with great skill and a sense of levity. So being able to, to laugh at yourself and to have fun in the moment and to, to do things with skill, right? So that's my message. 
And I hope that it resonates in all of my teachings, no matter what I'm teaching. But I ask that all teachers, millennial or not, you know, have that conversation with yourself. And what exactly do you want to put out there? Because sometimes I'll take a class and, and the sequencing or the class or the, sequ- the, the, the cueing is just, you can tell the only mindfulness behind it is let's make this as hard as physically possible right? Or let's make this as, as physically challenging as we can. Let's get them as sweaty as they can, whether it makes sense or not with everyone's bodies. Let's just make this as hard as possible um, because that's what big classes look like these days. And so that to me isn't a gold message. That's not, a, that's not my North Star, right? So I think that people need to have this conversation with themselves and not just in yoga, but with, with business, with everything, with relationships, what is the one thing that you hope to pass on? Mm-hmm. What, if you could change something and if you could shift one thing in your students' lives, in your partner's life, in your friends' life, if you could just shift and, and bring about some kind of awareness with, with one thing, hone it down and get it down to one message, what would it be? What would it be? And I'm hoping that, that that's again catching on because that duality of welcoming everyone, think about that too. We're welcoming people in a way that now kinesiologists are practicing yoga Physicians are practicing yoga, physical therapists, chiropractors, massage therapists. Now that more people are practicing yoga, there are a lot of people drawn to it that have an awareness about the body. So we're seeing things like traditionally that don't make sense, right? Like you shouldn't come behind someone in a class and cram their leg behind their head, even if they're not ready for it, you know, because you can hurt somebody. (laughs) So, so that duality of like, it's, it's, it's sometimes you have to check it, you know, but other times it's welcomed that, Hey, we're, we're elevating the standards of teaching. We're elevating our, our standards of, of what we're putting out there by bringing people from all walks of life into the practice that sometimes tradition probably should be broken. Heal to heal alignment and warrior one doesn't work for everyone. You know, find someone with a knee injury, a lower back injury or a hip injury and that hip alignment, that heel to heel alignment might not work. So should I then throw it out because it's tradition into every class I teach when they come into warrior one, should I say heel to heel? I think I have a different approach, you know, and, and protection of the knees. And that's just my anatomical background, but that's just one example of, of how people are bringing intellect and bringing variety and bringing spice to the yoga world. And that is a beautiful thing that the, the tradition should be honored, but it should be flexible. Yeah. Right? We should be able to constantly learn and evolve and progress right. in, in our teachings of yoga. It's, and the, the, the examples that you mentioned, you know, like the heel to heel alignment in Warrior One and the other examples that you mentioned come from a very clear place of self, self-inquiry, right? right? So that completely makes sense within the tradition. So it's like, how can you use like the most foundational tenets of the tradition to help inform what you're doing? So it's not just like, it's not just a woo-woo decision. It's actually a thoughtful informed decision is, I mean, is that kind of, how do you balance those two, that, that duality that you talked about of you, you know, staying within a tradition that is yoga, Mm -hmm. like, how do you balance? This is actually yoga. It's not fitness or it's not something else. And, um, being yourself. It's a good question. So whether you're teaching a Hatha vinyasa class or a restorative class or just meditation, I think yoga set, it steps aside from those very, very physically oriented classes, even if your class is very physically oriented, because it brings to it this concept of self-reflection and many other things, among them being, you know, community involvement and the spiritual component, which I'd love to talk about because 
<laughs> that's that's a tricky one in the yoga world as well. You know, so tricky. It's staying spiritual with within people's own limitations. Some people don't want to hear about it, you know. But can you still access them at a level that makes them go, "There's more to me than just muscle and bone." Mm. Right. There's more to me than just muscle and bone. And I think when you can capture those essences, whether you're doing knee to nose a thousand times or a bunch of Navasana, or you're just sitting in meditation, you've captured yoga. And that's what steps it aside or sets it aside from those other disciplines, Mm -hmm. right? Gymnastics or martial arts or running or CrossFit or dance or what have you. I think that yoga is its own being because it brings in this other layer, this deeper layer of you know, the poses are just there for the body. Mm-hmm. There are other components to you than your body. Yeah. You know, you're not just muscle and bone. Let's talk about the mind. Let's talk about the heart. Let's talk about the soul. Let's talk about um, going deeper into just being attentive, right? Like strip it. If you want to strip it all of all of its woo-woo, because I also teach a, a couple of classes where I try and bring East meets West, right? In my workshops about you know, the yoga philosophy and the very anatomical philosophy, the clinical side of it. And I'm an atheist. So that sometimes that's been a big insecurity for me as a yoga teacher, because I love hearing people go super spiritual and, and, and it just doesn't flow through me that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, when I hear someone in a yoga class talk about all the universal aspects and the chakras and the the deeper to say I'm trying, it doesn't even come out of my mouth, right? It just doesn't, that's not my language. That's not my language. I love to hear it. And I love that, that that's a part of yoga. I also am now coming to realize that my sense of spirituality as an atheist still is there and still exists because I recognize that we're all connected, you know, rather than having a God, I realize that we're God by being in this together, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that's very spiritual. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, first to get there, I've always, you know, I fall back on my, my anatomical background, you know, my, my psychological, my, my uh, medical background of, of my teaching. That was my focus for a long time. And then I it just wouldn't, I'm all about authenticity, right? And feeling yes. like, like you're showing up with your best self and that, that what, you're, what you're putting out there is 100% who you are. And it would be inauthentic of me to try and spout off some kind of spiritual component. So my spiritual component is that we're all in this together, that we are all more than muscle and bone. I think you could be the most devout atheist or the most religious person and still, still agree that there's something more to us than just, you know, tendons and ligaments and muscles and bones, right? So, and that's, so- that's even like touching on mysticism a little bit, don't you think? I mean, that's believing in, in the mystical on a certain and, level. And the unknown, the unknown of, you know, there's something else there and you know that there's, we've all felt it, the, the force of connection and the force of love. I mean, just look at love. I mean, that is from a very neuroanatomical perspective, that is just a, a firing of neurotransmitters and chemicals and, and energy throughout the brain that floods your system and it makes us gobbledygook. It makes us yeah. completely liquid, right? <laughs> and that sensation of magic in reality is something that is absolutely a tenet of yoga. Magic in reality, whether you are the most devout atheist or super spiritual or just haven't found what you believe in yet, we can all agree on that there's magic in reality if you just open your eyes to it. And I think yoga does a really good job at separating itself from other physical practices by giving you that platform. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, Years and years ago, (laughs) it's funny how time flies. When I was first starting to train with Sarah Powers, 
she, a lot of her yoga teaching is grounded in Buddhist philosophy and she teaches a lot of yin. And so you're, you'll be sitting in poses for long periods of time and she'll just kind of do like mini Dharma talks based on Buddhist philosophy. And very early in the teacher training, she just addressed the fact that she just said, and I don't know if she's changed, so I don't mean to misspeak about her now, but she said at the time, you know, I am just incredibly interested in um, Buddhist philosophy as as a way of, you know, manifesting like the way that I live. I don't necessarily call myself a Buddhist. You don't have to call yourself a Buddhist. I don't know if there's a God. You don't have to know if there's a God. You know, the only question I kind of live by is, do we have the answer? No, we don't. So let's just explore it. Yeah. And it was just such a nice way to set the stage for spirituality. It was just so welcoming to everyone. Like, just let yourself ask the questions. That's really all you have to do. To, to, and I, I, Because I think by asking the questions, you become curious about, like, why we're here and curious about why your muscles and bones work the way they work. Curious about why love makes you feel a certain way. You know, so I don't know. It just seemed to me what you were talking about is actually quite similar to that. Yeah. And I will, I mean, I admit I was, I struggled with it for a long time of, of, I mean, I studied religious studies in undergrad and I remember at one point I was raised Christian, non-denominational. We would go to church. My, my brother went to um, a private Catholic school and we'd go in and that was the same church that, that we would go to on Sundays for, for Sunday school. And, and I'd go and watch him in band and, and he was in, you know, my, my dad now sings in the choir. And so I, I had that religious Christian component and I got to an age where I felt like, you know, my whole life, this was contrived and just forced. It never, there, you know, in Christianity, one of the tenets is that you have a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And I just never felt that my relationship was that personal. It was just yeah. forced because my parents wanted me to go to church. And then I got to an age where in school, I started studying religion and I, I shifted to more like Hindu Buddhist philosophies and really loved that. And I remember at one point over, over dinner, my, my stepmother asking me if I was Buddhist and just saying, no, but I, I, I agree more that way than, than I would with, you know, a lot of other philosophies. And then getting to another point where I realized the reason that I'm so interested in religion is not so much the religion itself, but more the psychology behind groupthink and, and mentality and, and what is happening in the brain of someone who has faith. Right. Mm. And so I watched this evolution or this this change and progression towards the scientific side of it. And the whole time struggled with teaching yoga in a world where there are a lot of really spiritual people in yoga. Right. And it didn't ever feel authentic to me to at the end of class, roll people up from Shavasana and read something else that someone wrote unless it was something I believed in. So I just didn't. Mm -hmm. Right. Or to share spiritual components of, of the chakras and the energy systems and doshas and koshas and, and, and some scars and that stuff I learned in teacher training and I've studied, but never really resonated with me. And so there was this overwhelming sense of, am I even doing this right? Are people missing this part of the teaching in my own classes? Is this, does this make me a shitty yoga teacher <laughs> that I don't have that, that component? And then coming to realize when you actually embrace who you are, self-acceptance of, of who you are and what you believe in and keeping an open mind, right? But still embracing this is, this is actually what I believe in, that it opens all these doors and, and there's no one set way of rightfully doing something as long as you are constantly growing and changing yourself. 
And that's just hopefully something I bring through in my teachings is I can't sit and have an authentic conversation. I'd love to listen to it because it just something inside me lights up when I hear it. Right. But I can't actually talk about at a depth and a level that the very spiritual gurus do something that I just don't feel inside myself. Right. I think that's really wise. You know, I think that what we're, what, when you go to a yoga teacher, there is some, I believe that, um, there's some importance to like what transmission, right? And like, I, I think Jason from just as long as I've known him and I've known him a very long time, he has the power of transmission. Like you can go into his class and people can think he's like just a physical teacher in quotes because he's, he's focused on, he's meticulous and he's focused on the body a lot and he's focused on the breath a lot. But to me, he just doesn't overtly tell you how to feel spiritual. He just lets the practice work for itself. And that's how he teaches because that's how he's comfortable. So he's able to transmit the teachings in that way. And I think like whatever way is, you know, Sally Kempton lived in an ashram for 30 years and is just incredibly skillful at transmitting the teaching of meditation from maybe what maybe what you would call a more spiritual place. So I don't know that that's, I think that's incredibly wise of you to just like know yourself and teach from that place. Well, and I think it goes back to that duality of, of welcoming all walks of life within yoga these days as you know, modern times of just because you're not spiritual doesn't mean you can't be a yoga teacher. And just because you don't know anatomy at such a level that, you know, you can counter a surgeon doesn't mean you can't be a yoga teacher. And just because you were in the military for 30 years and have probably taken lives doesn't mean you can't be a yoga teacher. And just because you eat meat doesn't mean you can't be a yoga teacher. And just, you know what I but mean? But the so- question I have, but the question I have within that is how important is it to know what you don't know, right? Like, so if you don't know anatomy to a certain level, how important is it for you to know that so you don't then injure someone? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. And that back to the duality of, right. of you know, they're, they're, you're welcoming all these people, but there have to be some sort of a fixed, I don't even want to say fixed set of rules, but just a standard, a standard, so to speak, I guess is a good word of, of quality. So you don't of, of education and training. So you don't hurt people. And I think that there has to be a baseline, you know, do, do you need to be able to go toe to toe and list, you know, all the innervation points that run off of the spine in order to teach a good yoga class. No, but I think that you should probably know what's being stretched when you're teaching a certain posture and, and certain precautions and, and when not to practice certain poses. Absolutely. I'm hoping that that is now making its way more and more into teacher trainings. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I, I really love to bring to teacher trainings is the anatomy component, but yoga being what it is, welcoming all these people from different, different walks, as well as as having that spiritual component, my teachings on anatomy are just as valid as someone else's teachings on the spiritual anatomy, right? And so merging and blending those two worlds and kind of marrying the two, I think is the best way to find balance. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It kind of, um, I've always called myself a yoga mutt, (laughs) you know, privately. I've never, I don't like wear a name tag or anything. It's because I, you know, I just, I could never subscribe to only one system. I mean, the closest I came to that was in the beginning, just being an Ashtangi for a couple of years and then getting very injured in that system, not because of the system, but because of my own ignorance and then going to other teachers to, to learn how to heal myself. And so 
Jason and I talk about this a lot, actually, that, you know, you don't have to only have one yoga teacher. Like every yoga teacher has their own strengths. And, you you know, it's funny, we would never, we talk about this in our, in our like primary spousal relationships, right? Like you can't get everything from one person. You still have to have your friends. You still have to have your family. And, and I actually, in just my growth as, as, a, as a yoga student, I, I feel the same way about teachers. Like I think it's great to go to different teachers and learn different aspects from different teachers and what speaks to you. So I also want to talk about your, the new project that you're working on, the Yoga Network. I mean, I'm yours. You are such a busy guy. (laughs) How long do you want to talk? I'm here for you. Um, The Yoga Network is, I think it speaks to a lot of things that we've already kind of mentioned. The first is that we need more training in our yoga world. The second is that we also need to make training accessible because when yoga kind of takes over and if people want to be yoga teachers and make that their job, which is probably another episode of this, I can talk about that all day. Um, but when, when people want to teach yoga and make that their, their prime living, make a living off of just teaching yoga, it's really hard. It's really hard. And it's hard sometimes to make ends meet. And it's hard to not only make ends meet, but also to further your training, to jump into teacher trainings that are expensively priced, to go on retreats, to better yourself as a yoga teacher. And it becomes this challenge. So increasing the accessibility of training, increasing the affordability of training, and increasing the quality of training. And so the yoga network is a way of doing that that brings people, again, from all different walks to contribute what they know and to learn from others. So the the pillars, so to speak, would be um, advanced training. You know, I'm working with a couple physicians and uh, chiropractors that know the body in certain ways that we can film instructional videos on when you just want to have a couple of CEUs. You know, here's something that you can sit down and work through a course at your own pace and, and watch these things and learn and interact in a forum to keep you engaged anatomically. Um, another would be uh, community and, and collective sharing. So learning from each other in the community, having a forum board or a message board where, you know, you as a yoga teacher who has something to share can share something with me that I might love to take and bring into my, my classes and, and, and delivering that with, with a platform for people to be authentic. So they can write how they want to write. They can speak how they want to speak. They can upload videos. They can do this in a way that also has a hub. A big part of it is, is having local hubs. So humans from a psychological perspective, humans learn the best from other humans. We just do. It's how we, we are programmed. Mm-hmm. And for us to have little hubs around the country, around the, around the world, where I think right now we're up to 16 or 17 hubs, where the studio owner says, I commit to once a month or once every six weeks holding a space where yoga teachers in the community can come in and discuss these things cool. um, and learn together and practice together. And just for a couple hours, we can have chips and queso, maybe a bottle of wine or green juice, you know, and just talk about these things and what we've shared, what we've learned, what we're working through right now and have a, 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 an in-person platform is the second step. So advanced training with videos and with modules, having a second step where people can, can share both online, but also share at a local hub near them of coming together. And the last one is mentorship. I think that's a really big problem in the yoga world with once you get to a certain point, people look to you for feedback. But it's, again, the rat race of, well, competition and how do you ask for feedback without getting your feelings hurt or opening up a door for people to know too much about your business or what have you. So just embracing this thought that we all have something to learn from each other. 
We all have a way to grow from each other. Humans learn the best from other people. So taking advantage of that and saying, hey, Andrea, will you come take one of my classes and I'm going to give you a form or I'm going to give you a sheet that not to fill out, but just gives you ideas of ways to constructively give me feedback on how to be a better teacher. So mentorship in a way that that you can go and find someone in your area that can guide you through some trials and 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 tribulations of, of what they worked through when they were teaching. And, oh, the, this is the way that I really approach the hip, you know, and, and especially with people who have this kind of hip-related injury or, or just getting real specific or keeping it broad. Hey, I loved your class. The music was a little bit too loud. You know, I couldn't quite hear you. And giving people feedback that they can grow and learn off of. So so advanced training, um, collective sharing, and, and, and mentorship would be three really big components to this this undertaking this project that I've got going on. I love it. Love it. Love it. That's great. Good for you. <laughs> and well, I, I, it's admittedly a bit selfish. It's what I hope to, to bring for myself to, to continue my teaching. And I want people to give feedback and, and to take my classes in a way that they can, you know, constructively guide me towards being better. I want to have advanced training and I want to share and be shared with. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. I'm you like, are just such a wise soul <laughs> and you have a big heart and I love you. Thank you. I love you. And I appreciate this. And I'm so glad we got to have some time together. Me too. Thanks a lot. Anytime. Anytime. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find out more about The Yoga Network at theyoganetwork.org. You can also follow Taylor on Instagram at tjhark. And you can take class with him on Yoga Glow or find his full travel teaching schedule at taylorharkness.com. I'll also put all of these links up on the show notes page, which you can access at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode seven. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at yogalandpodcast. Sending you and yours lots of summer love. 